Hello, ladies. You are listening to the Saludable Latina Women's Health and Wellness Podcast with Lilia Gomez-Ash. The Saludable Latina podcast started with the intention to raise awareness about a variety of women's health topics, but then I quickly realized that the wellness journey is full of transitions. So I expanded my mission to include topics such as spirituality, health, and wellness. I am more focused to bring authentic conversations with real women as well as health and wellness experts for their insights for growth in the wellness journey. I hope that you find all the guests that come to the Saludable Latina community as people who are doing purposeful, intentional work. They are smart and they are passionate and they have a dynamic point of view when it comes to the wellness space. So I hope that you're able to learn something from the conversations, from the health tips, or the conversations that we have from women to women. Are you ready for the new episodes? Well then, let's get started. Okay, ladies, before we get started with tonight's episode, I am going to bring into light and share awareness about a diagnosis that often does not get discussed and that has to do with multiple myeloma. And the reason I am bringing this diagnosis up is because our very special guest tonight will be sharing her story in regards to how she got diagnosed with multiple myeloma and the things that she did. For those of us that don't know what multiple myeloma is, it is a rare and incurable cancer of a person's white plasma cells, the cells that fight infection and disease, and it can permanently weaken bones and damage organs. Also too, multiple myeloma is found to be a greater risk for the African American population. It is only twice the risk of developing multiple myeloma compared to the white Americans. They are also more likely to be diagnosed at a younger age and we don't know why. Perhaps it can be due to environmental factors, gene factors, lifestyle factors, we just don't know. There are researchers that are still trying to bridge the gap and, and understand why is it that African Americans are being diagnosed at a younger and younger stage in life compared to white Americans who are normally diagnosed around the age of 70. There are many reasons to why these disparities exist and one of the reasons is low level of awareness in general. In the African-American communities, even among primary care physicians, there simply just isn't enough awareness about the disease itself and how it affects the community. Without proper awareness, those who are at higher risk cannot take the necessary precautions needed to find the disease and treat it. However, in Stacy's stories, she will be sharing what she did in order to be able to move forward. So her story is very interesting. We'll be sharing that in just a bit. If a patient presents with signs and symptoms of the disease, the patient and their doctor may not even know they should be tested for multiple myeloma because often the symptoms of myeloma are unrelenting back pain, weakness, tiredness, frequent urination, constipation, which often get confused with symptoms of just getting older. Primary care physicians who are aware that their patients could be at higher risk for multiple myeloma should be running additional blood and urine tests. Another important factor that contributes to these disparities is access to healthcare and services. About 51% of the African Americans under the age of 65 and 28% over 65 have private insurance in comparison to 67% of white Americans under the age of 65 and 44% over 65. These differences in insurance coverage may result in different experiences in treatment. We all do know that there's a big gap when it comes to healthcare and navigation and treatments. So there's still a lot of work to be done in order to bridge those gaps to make sure for in particular any patient that gets diagnosed with multiple myeloma should be able to have the best quality of care but we know there's pre-existing conditions and challenges that do exist and hopefully we can still move forward to bridging those gaps because there's still so much work to be done and so there's also still a gap on clinical trials because there's just not enough with evidence-based results showing that how can this population be alleviated from multiple myeloma? And that's because there's always been a mistrust in the healthcare system from the get-go. There's been a long back history when it comes down to um, different populations of minority that just don't trust the system. But what we need to be able to find out is how to ask questions when it comes to clinical trials. How can our populations participate once we have that trust to be to be able to make sure that the research is really going to be supporting the um, population that is most in need, but also making sure they're being navigating to treatment options if that is what the patient desires to do so, because not everyone is going to have 
that desire to go under treatment and medication and who knows what else the specialist might recommend because some people just prefer the holistic route and so we have to be mindful of how to be able to make those decisions but being mindful and creating awareness that multiple myeloma is a higher risk for minority populations as you can see what i mentioned before more people too are being diagnosed at a younger age and we just don't know why why is that shift all of a sudden happening so it's really important to have these dialogues with family members to get to know your health history the family's health history and having these conversations with your primary care provider if the primary care provider is not pushing to test you advocate for yourself get the blood testing done, get the urinalysis done, because often at times we have to be the educator to the provider and that's okay. Providers need to hear us out and then providers will make the recommendations. And sometimes there are some stubborn providers and sometimes the providers are like, yes, I didn't think about that. Let's order that lab test. And so the more you can become an advocate in your wellness journey, the more you can actually have the upper hand and making decisions about plans of care. And so without further ado, I want you to actually get to know Stacy's story and hear her journey when it came down to being diagnosed with multiple myeloma and what she did. Ready? Let's go. Un, dos, tres. All right, ladies, welcome back to another podcast episode. I have a wonderful guest, Stacy Branch, with me here today. She is a public figure and a wellness coach, and she is out in the Los Angeles area. Welcome, Stacy. How are you doing today? I am good. Thank you. How are you today? Doing well. So Stacy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a, um, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I work, my other job is that I work in the film industry. And I realized last week in a conversation with someone that I've been on this journey since the mid eighties, my wellness journey since the eighties. Um, I wasn't aware of it. And I don't know what made me realize what really triggered me, but um, yeah. Well, was there like a thought or a moment in your life where it might've um, taken you there? Like maybe perhaps, for example, yeah. in your, in, you mentioned you work in the film industry, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure you probably have a chaotic schedule, you know, yeah. trying to coordinate things, figure things out. I'm pretty sure you were always on the go. Did you experience anything in your health during the time week that you were working? Well, before I worked in the film industry, so my true backstory is I had a record deal when I was 18. And all those stories, all those bad stories you hear about the record industry, uh-huh. those happened to me. And um, so I walked away from my deal because I'm probably, I'm gonna make this statement and I'm gonna insult somebody and I don't really care because it's how I feel. Mm-hmm. At 18, I had the consciousness to walk away from my record deal because I didn't want to sleep with somebody. So I'm not, I, I always feel when I hear me too, it offends me because I was 18 and I had enough sense to, I was raped, but I still was like, oh, I'll never sing if that's what I have to sing for. And I walked away. I had to sit my deal out, sitting my deal out. I ended up working at a record label and, um, and I still dabbled in entertainment. I still wanted to sing. And eventually technology changed enough that I was able to put music out on my own label. So I have some songs and movies. I have a few records on on iTunes. Um, I'm going to have to look you up now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my point is, is that our life, you can choose to be a victim or you can choose to be a victor. And that is, I chose to to succeed as opposed to allow things to stop me. So you asked me my wellness journey. So about 1987-88, I had a cousin that had AIDS and um I at the time worked at AM Records and I was severely constipated and that's important to the story. I um part of it was I know now was I wasn't drinking enough water and I was on one of those high protein diets everybody used to go on and um, a girl at work said, um, you sound like you need a colonic. And I'd never heard of a colonic, but she gave me a number and I went to see this woman. When I walked out, she had this, um, these printed copies of something called the AIDS control diet. And because of my cousin, I took one and I read it. And it was a study done at one of the elite universities in the 80s. This is really important. 
and they took a bunch of guys that were on death's door with no T cells and within six months just changing their diet. They, some of them were able to get off their medicine, resume their life and build their bodies back. And you know, they, that was when I learned that food made a difference. Food mattered. That, that is where the answer is and that we didn't need these drugs. And so I went home, I told my cousin, I was like, I'll do this with you, let's try it. And my cousin had already, you know, at that point with AIDS, people just like, I'm gonna die. And they, they kind of just resigned themselves to that. But I did it, he didn't, but I did it. And I felt so amazing. And it was really just cutting animal products out. And that was kind of my vegetarian, vegan journey. And I don't really like labels as much as I like be healthy. That's mm -hmm. kind of my goal because everything does not fit everybody. I would love to be a vegan. I can't be because I can't, I have a um, lectin intolerance. I can't have nuts and beans and there's a bunch of things I can't eat. So it is not possible for me to be a vegan. So I just tell people be healthy, be mindful of what you're eating. So that was in the 80s that started my journey and so along the way you know the universe puts you where you need to be i just kept meeting people that planted seeds that taught me and and you know i'd go i do movies and um i'd end up in a state and i'd end up meeting somebody that would basically change my life they teach me something i didn't know and i gained so much from that and in the late mid 90s i did a film called hoodlum with lawrence fishburne and in, I, we shot that in chicago and so the you know the modern day godmother of raw food is karen calabrese and karen mentored me the whole time i was in chicago and that was what really started sent me on the on the journey and then i she sent me to a place called ohi in san diego and I went, I would, I used to go every year for a week or two, sometimes three. And I got my raw food chef certificate. And I just, you know, and I, I kept meeting people that had changed their life. So flash forward in 2009, February of 2009, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is um, considered a irreversible and incurable blood cancer or cancer of the blood plasma. I don't really know it. I don't, I, I, I read about it all the time and it never makes sense to me. When you read about it, it sounds like leukemia, but that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I was diagnosed and um, I spent the whole weekend looking for the answer because I was like, oh, there has, this, there's gotta be a way to get rid of this. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't one. There was no silver lining in 2009. So if you don't mind me asking before you continue, you said you were diagnosed in 2009 with multiple myeloma, right? When you were diagnosed, did you end up being in that appointment alone or did you have support? Did you feel like the provider at the time that was giving you the, the diagnosis, did you feel like there was a, a good type of resource support from the provider when you got your diagnosis? Okay, that's a two-part answer. Yes. Um, so the way my insurance and my medical system, so if you are in the film industry and you qualify for our insurance, mm -hmm. um, how they used to do it and they kind of still do, you, they mail you your results. Okay. So um, let me tell the story. I, I have to remember all the things about it. It's been a minute now. For two years, I was sick. And I was going to every doctor under the sun. Okay. When you are of color, people tend to discount you. Mm -hmm. I had a doctor that was my primary physician who looked at me one day and said, you know, you're just a hypochondriac. Now, mind you, if you saw my blood work, you, there, you couldn't tell me I wasn't sick. Everything was wrong. My, my, something was either extremely high, too low. I was a mess. My blood work looked horrible. But yet I was a hypochondriac. Okay. And so I stopped going to him and I went to the head of that, that facility who I love. And he was an incredible care partner until he retired last year. And he's the one that finally, because myeloma is such a specific illness. 
if they don't test you for it, they can't find it. They don't see it. It doesn't just show up and stuff. So, so, during, so during the times that you were navigating through different providers, and like you said, because you you were a woman of color, they were kind of not really looking for those indicators. And my age. I was okay. too young. They considered, it was always considered an old person's disease, although now people are getting it younger and younger. But at that time, I wasn't the right age. And, and they don't take as much time when you're, when you're black and you walk in and say something's wrong. I'm just a nightmare. So I will not let them do that to me. I will, I will get in your face. I, you, you can't tell me anything because I will question you. And I'm, but I'm an incredible advocate for myself. That's great. And in my life in general. So for two years, my doctor, anything I thought I had, he tested me for it. He'd send me to anybody. And everybody was like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. So finally, I went in one day and I felt miserable. I said, look, my life is getting shut down. You got to figure this out. You just have to. And he said, I'm going to do one more thing. And it was that one more test. So when, he, when I got it, it was a letter and, and it was that test. And he said, Stacy, you need to call, you need to come in and we need to discuss this result. Okay. And so I went in and at that time there were only, I want to say three myeloma specialists in Los Angeles. So one of the one I wanted was not in my network. And I actually petitioned my insurance to pay for me to go to him because you know, I felt this is a big deal and I want to go where I'm comfortable. And they actually approved it. So I, you know, so I, I've learned that if you just tell medical facilities what you want, they usually, you'll find somebody who will, will help you. Navigate you there. But you can't just let them tell you no. You can't, mm -hmm. they can't, no is not an option in my world. So I don't do no. You can tell me we tried, this doesn't work, but you can't just say no to me. I'm not good at that. So they gave me, let me go to this doctor. And I told him, I'll come to you. I'll let you do my blood work. But if there's no cure, I'm not going to do drugs. So I'm clear about that. I'm vain. I don't want my hair to fall out. I don't want to look bad. So there's no need of me taking chemo for, a, for a, an illness I can't get rid of. So for the first five years, I did nothing. And then I started to get really sick. And when you're diagnosed with myeloma, at least in 2009, I don't know about now, they give you a five to eight year life expectancy. So when I hit year five, I was sick. And I just assumed, well, this, you know, this is it. There's nothing I can do. And I had gone to the doctor because I was really bad. And I had started saying goodbye to people because I had acknowledged, you know, I I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to fight to be here and be sick. I didn't want to be a burden. And so when you were being diagnosed and you were thinking all those thoughts and the matter of fact that you made a very early decision to, to know and advocate for yourself that you didn't want to be put on prescription medicine that was going to have so many side effects because most patients will say yes, whatever, you know, or at the time, I think a lot of the times patients quickly respond to a yes because they believe in that plan of care until they later navigate more that maybe they should have took their time with decisions but when you're afraid yes it's very easy for doctors to manipulate because first of all doctors only prescribe they don't know nutrition they don't study it in school and they don't know how to help you other than to give you that that pill but the other thing people forget is they are practicing they say a whole bunch of patients a day they're they're not personally invested in you so you can't just turn your life over because they're basically strangers. They don't care about you. And it's like I used to say about people with AIDS when I found that study. And I remember saying, you know, doctors, they probably see an AIDS patient and go, oh, let me buy a beach house. Instead of thinking, how can I be the person that, that saves this person's life? Mm. You know, and so I that is, that's how I look at things. And I realize that doctor, you know, he's getting his check. But the other thing people forget is that the medical professional that you walk into works for you. Mm -hmm. You are how he gets paid. So don't ever 
think for five minutes that he's not your employee and treat him like he's your employee. And that's what I do. I mean, I'm not demeaning or anything like that, but I am very clear. You work for me. So we are, we are going to do, we're going to do what's best for me, not what you think is best for me. I don't, I don't really care. And, and whatever a doctor tells me, I will go research it. I don't allow you to convince me to take something that's going to shut my kidneys down. I think if people really read their medications, they wouldn't take them. Because yeah. almost everything is going to shut your kidney down. Even Tylenol can demolish your kidneys, your liver. I don't even take aspirin. Yeah, you're they, like, hey, girl, I don't take I, any medication. I take nothing. I got a headache, I go drink some water. I, I don't take anything because all of those pills, they're temporary, they're toxic, and there's always another way to me. That's just my opinion, but there's always another way. <laughs> no, and absolutely. I, I love that you're voicing this out because I think people need to hear this, especially when they're making decisions about their health. A lot of the times people are quick to make yeses in some of those responses and all of a sudden they're on a plan of care. And then the long-term effect is they came in with one problem and now they have probably five more conditions because of the medications. It's a slippery slope. And the thing is their job is to get you in the system. Do you know what I mean? And once you're in it, you are not getting out. Trust yeah. me, that's not their job is not to get you well. That is not their job. Yeah. Their job is to keep you in the system. There's and a lot of flaws in our healthcare system. And that's why I love individuals like you who create services um, and share your own personal stories because you were able to find a platform to be able to voice out, guide, prevention is always the key. I always tell people prevention is always the key. But there's also this perception there's not enough time for prevention. There, I think we, one of the things I've loved the most about the quarantine, in all honesty, mm-hmm. is that you go to the grocery store, they have no food. I mean, even now they don't, they have food, but you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things that are gone. And it, part of it is because people have to cook because the restaurants have been closed. Mm-hmm. And so families have become closer. Parents get to see who their children are, what their children are lacking or needing. And, but people are cooking in their homes. And I think what they're realizing is, oh, I do have time to cook. Oh, this only takes 20 minutes. I don't need to stop at McDonald's. It's cheaper for me to fix a a roast, a chicken and fix some vegetables for my family or, or beans and vegetables and rice for my family than it is for me to go to McDonald's. Yeah. You know, and, and it's healthier, you know, so I have appreciated that part of the quarantine because I, I know people that are, are Grubhub, Postmate people and they're <laughs> cooking. And so, and that is better for you, whether it's for your family, for you alone, it is still better for you when you know where your food is coming from, because you don't know who's in that kitchen fixing your food or what they're doing to it. And you don't know where it comes from. And, and my whole thing is always know your food source. I personally, um, oh, so when I was talking about being sick, that's that was the turning point. I, I kind of want to say that because that's, that's kind of where I am now. So when I went, I went to the doctor, I, they had sent me to a neurologist because things were getting bad. And they said, you know, they were like, you know, we let you do it your way, but it may be time to think about chemo and a pacemaker because my heart was stopping. And I was like, yeah, um, give me 30 days. This were my exact words. Give me 30 days and I'll have this conversation. I literally left the doctor's office, barely able to drive, went straight to the grocery store and bought vegetables because through my journey, you know, we, oh, you, doesn't matter how insignificant you think a moment is, eventually that moment will, will be, will serve you. You know, there's always a moment that you remember that serves you. Through all my learning, all the things I had experienced, I had, you know, going to OHI, watching documentaries on people that had reversed disease. I literally went to the grocery store, bought vegetables, and I juiced for 30 days because I said, if nothing else, I'm not going to feel like I'm going to die. And so at the end of 30 days, I felt amazing. I'd lost weight. And I went to the doctor. And my cancer that was considered irreversible, I had reversed. I was not cancer free, but 
my myeloma numbers had dropped 400 points in that 30 days. That's amazing. And that changed the trajectory of my life because then I realized that the juicing matters. So every week, all the guys at the grocery store know me because every week I buy my juice and I don't put sugar in it. It is just a green juice, but I used to be severely anemic. I'm no longer anemic. All of my little crazy numbers that were all out of sync have been beyond normal for the past, that was 2013, I don't know what year this is now. So for the past seven years, my blood work, other than my the cancer, has been normal. But what I do now is once a year, sometimes twice a year, depending on my mood, I still fast 30 days. Sometimes I do it online and try to get other people involved. And I... And the numbers have never dropped as significantly as they did then, but they usually drop 100 to 150 points. And so now I'm almost cancer-free. I'm like 100 points above cancer-free. And I, the past year, I just haven't had it in me to, to fast because there's been, I've had a lot going on and now this. So, but I, it has made, it has made a significant difference in my life. And so the cancer that they said I couldn't reverse, I've reversed. And whether I'm ever cancer-free or not, I don't really care. I know that I was able to improve my quality of life and prolong it. And it's now year 11. And so I've surpassed the five to eight year window. That's a beautiful way of seeing your dynamic of your own well-being and not letting, you know, not letting other people take initiative of your health. You know, I think when you decided to do the 30 days and say, you know what, give me 30 days, give me a time frame. Sometimes we allow for other opportunities to see what we need for our bodies, mindfully in our bodies, soulfully in our bodies. Nutrition is such key. So knowing that you focus on nutrition and juicing, how did you get into creating and being a wellness coach? So over the past few years, because of um, my own situation, I had a raw food delivery service that I did. Um, I, people, whenever somebody gets sick, there it's always you should call Stacy. And so it kind of became people calling me. But I had always been I was I've always been an not always, but for the past fifteen years, I had been an inspirational coach and blogger. So I had I already kind of had a platform, but last year. I've been talking about what I do, but not with any, you know, I wasn't like putting it in people's faces. And then last year I went to um, Peru to do ayahuasca. Ooh. And while I was there and I had a healing with the shaman, that was amazing. And I am a true believer because I had the worst back pain. So I've had another thing I should tell you, I've had five back surgeries. And I'm one of the 4% of the population that is allergic to titanium. So if someone tells you no one's allergic to titanium, that's crap. People are. So don't ever let a doctor just put something in your body um, unless you know for sure that you're not allergic. And so three of my back surgeries to put the metal in and two was to take it out and reconstruct my spine. So I've had this one little kind of nerve pain for the past, I guess nine years, nine, 10 years. And the shaman got rid of it. And I haven't had that pain since my healing. But I did ayahuasca and I do so much work on myself. I did not have one of those dark experiences people have. I actually had a beautiful experience. But one of the things I had was this voice <laughs> that would not shut up and would not stop talking to me because, you know, Mother Ayahuasca talks to you and tells you what you need. And I was just getting beat down and I just was like, Oh my God. And one of the things was I had to start sharing my journey and that I had to start doing these wellness events. And so last year from Peru, I text my cousin who has this beautiful open concept kitchen and her foyer is huge. It, you can seat 50 people. And I literally text my cousin from Peru and was like, I really need to give an event at your house. And she said, sure, whenever you want. And so I literally planned the event from Peru via text. And the first one was a success. And, my, and I 
people were leaving and saying, oh my God, I hope you do this again. And my, and I'm thinking to myself, I cannot ask my cousin. I think the first event, there were 25 people. And I was like, I cannot ask my cousin, can I use her house again? She, I, I'm in, I'm, this is so much. And she literally said, Stacy, get your phone. We need to plan the next event because we need to keep this going. And that, I was like, oh, well, okay, great. <laughs> so we had the next event, that event had 50 people. And I would have had another one except for the quarantine. And um, that has sort of started the platform. And so I, I, I teeter a bit, but, and I always try to make sure my information is accurate and current. And, and I try not to overwhelm people because as I said, my goal is not for people to be any one thing except healthy. I love that concept because a lot of the times there's this idea of diet and I got to cut that out and cut that out. And I love the idea of be healthy. Be healthy. I mean, there are certain, first of all, none of us are perfect. Mm -hmm. And what I do at my events is I, uh, one, I tell my journey and I talk a little, I answer questions, but I serve a four course meal and I serve pretty much vegetarian, vegan food, sometimes raw food. But what I'm showing, what I'm serving is an alternative to something that you know, something that you enjoy and giving you a different way to do it. Because a lot of times we're not healthier because we don't know what that is. We don't, you know, people see, oh, soy burger and that's what they buy. But the reality is that soy is the devil and it's not good for you. Yeah. But if you, if someone serves you a mushroom taco, which you never thought of mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, okay, well that's a twist mm-hmm. or someone makes you a raw tomato soup or a cream of broccoli soup that has no cream in it. Well, now you've, you know, and I not only serve the meals, but everything I serve, I give those recipes away. So now you have, uh, you have, a, you have something new in your repertoire that you didn't have before. Because a lot of times we don't know because we don't know. And if you're just going to the local vegetarian restaurant in town, well, that you're going to see it, but you're going to think you can never do it. And so my goal is to teach you that you can do it and you can be healthier. And there are healthy alternatives that still taste good. And it doesn't have to be, I am not an advocate for processed foods. Um, I actually, since I've been in quarantine, I've been working, I had already been working on my cookbook, but, and it's a cookbook and my journey, but now, um, because of the quarantine, I was able to create some new recipes and because I can't eat beyond or impossible or any of those other burgers, I created my own. And so that's the other thing, people learning that those are things you can make that, you don't have to keep turning your your health and your life over to other people. And even when we go to the grocery store, when you buy something in a box with a bunch of ingredients on it that you cannot name, that then you are turning your life over to someone else. And that's not what I do. So in my house I live in now, I've lived here five years when I moved in, because after the juicing, I was, I went back to being raw for a while, but one of the things I really became conscious of in all my studying was my food had to be living. My food had to be real food. And that is where healthy comes in. And so I tore up part of my backyard and I have four, six by eight beds and I grow my food, not all of it, but a lot of it. And I can go out in my backyard and I can have dinner right now. And not saying I don't buy stuff at the grocery store, but it just depends on the season. I live in California. And so some things are just, you know, I do, I have like right now I have a bunch of cucumber plants started and um, I have some summer stuff that I don't have all year round and I don't have a green, a greenhouse. So I can't uh, do certain things all year, but I, I do try to, for me, it's always about my food having one ingredient, the food. Yes. And that's, that's, I think, the part people need to get in the practice of, of eating real food. 
How was your first event, you know, when you went to Peru and you had like the work, you know, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in the holistic, the shot, all that work, you know, all that rooted work. But when you came back so inspired and created your first event, did you feel like it was going to be a little bit tough trying to explain uh, to people like, look, food is healing or um, or were people more open minded? Because sometimes what I feel is some people can be like, you know, I'll, I'll eat some vegetables, but I also still eat my everything else that I love to enjoy eating. The people that came were very open-minded. That I think the first event, people were curious. The second event, there were return people that brought people with them. That Hold on, baby. Um, there were return Aww. people that brought people with them. And the, a lot of the people that came to the second event were it had health challenges and were and were seeking. I even had a woman that found me from the internet. I guess she just saw the post and she had just been diagnosed with multiple myeloma. Wow. So she, you know, she came because she she was searching and we actually have the same doctor. And uh, so I think I'm where people go. People seem to to show up for me when they're when it's it's they need help. And, and I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm fine with, with people needing help. And I, I just want people to be healthy, whatever that means for you. I mean, my thing is, if you have to remember, most people don't even eat the vegetables. Mm. So, you know, if you're going to McDonald's or Jack in the Box or, or and you know, there are people think, oh, if I go to Chick-fil-A, it's healthier because they've got that grilled chicken nuggets, whatever. And I will say, I'm not like a huge drive drive through fan. Chicken filet has a cute little kale salad. It's like a dollar. And I'm sure it's got something on it I can't have. But if I'm out impressed, then, yeah. you know, I, I'm not ever going to tell somebody I don't eat those foods. No, I'm not a regular drive through girl. That's not my, that's not my thing. But I, you know, you do what you have to do. I, you know, like I work in the film industry and, and as I said, and they serve several meals a day and I don't get to have that. And so when you asked a question earlier, one of the things that I have had to get used to is food preparation. And I'm not the fun friend, you know, so no one calls me because I can't drink. So I'm not who people call to go out. And, and I only eat at a couple of restaurants, partially because one restaurant is my day restaurant. It's my, um, they call, call it my office. Because if you want to eat with me, you got to kind of go there if you want to have a meal out. Part of it is the food is farm to table, farm to table. It's organic. They know me. I know the menu. I can make my little special requests. So we're good. Um, my nighttime restaurant is a little bit more of my cheat. Don't go there very often anymore, but it used to be a restaurant I ate at frequently, like once a week and before I really got sick. So, um, but again, I have my own menu. And they are accommodating because they know my situation. I can't go to very many restaurants because I need to know what's in that food. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and you'd be surprised the server, like it is a nightmare trying to get somebody to answer a question. Like, you know, so I'm not, it has changed my social life because, um, you know, like I said, I'm not the fun friend. And uh, I work in an industry where they serve four meals a day that I can't have. So my Sunday, my Saturday morning is going to the grocery store. My Sunday morning, after I do my meditate and I work out, my Sunday is filled with me sitting in the kitchen doing my meal prep. And I juice and I cook and I pack all my food up. And that's the other thing I try to teach people too. I mean, it's food prep comes down to having what you need to do the food prep. It, it means having containers that work for you, having the bag you need to take it in. And if you, even if it's just taking a salad every day, getting some type of living food into your body, it changes your life. If you are anemic, if you eat a spinach salad every day for a month, you will no longer be anemic because you will get your iron. Yeah, and that's, that's the part people, you know, they don't realize, or even juicing. I, it, yes, in, a, in the real world, you should juice once a day, but, but that's not always easy. But you know what it is? Getting you some mason jars and filling those up and then juice and having your juice every day. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to find a way to incorporate, you know, like they say, you can invest in your health today or you can go broke dealing with your health later. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so glad that you brought up the whole thing with food preparation. You know, not to say that you're not the fun friend. I think you're more consciously aware of what you like to consume for your for your body and your mind, because I've been on that journey as well, where I'm no longer just going to order anything and go to any restaurant because right. we also have these food sensitivities that most of us aren't even aware. We're just tolerating. We're just like, oh, mm, good. Mm. And the next thing you know, we're like, oh, you know, like, oh, like my eyes are swollen or my, for me, I will ask 90 million questions, but if my eyes swell up, I already know what you gave me because my eyes are swollen. Like I'm very clear because I have a lectin sensitivity. So, so I will say 50 million times, is there soy in it? Is there soy in it? And people, you know, it's amazing because they don't know what's in their own food. Yeah. You know, and people don't read. I, it's the funniest thing. So for years, sorry, I didn't mean to hijack what you were saying, but I wanted to make it at all. But what you said about being conscious. So for years, I started noticing I had a food sensitivity and I'd have stuff, but I would, I would eat bread. I didn't eat a lot of bread. Now, now bread is like, when I say a treat, I have bread so rarely. Um, but yeah, you're like me, girl. <laughs> I had bread and I went, why are my eyes swelling up? So I went to the grocery store, excuse me. I went to the grocery store and I decided I was going to read the labels. That was the other thing. Once I got into this whole trying to figure out what I was eating thing, you could you can spend an hour in one section of the grocery store reading labels and be irritated. I did not realize that almost 90% of the breads were made with soy flour, not wheat. The first ingredient is soy flour. Well, I can't have soy. So that's why my eyes were swelling. Mm. And yeah. soy flour, soy oil, soy lectin. I mean, like there's like five soys before they get to wheat. That's so true. And so people don't read that. They keep thinking they're eating wheat bread. You're not eating wheat bread. You're eating soy bread. Or I, one day I wanted minestrone soup and I knew this restaurant that made homemade minestrone, but it was so, it was like 30 minutes. I didn't want to drive. And I said, I, you know, there's gotta be somebody that has minestrone. This, is, this was years ago, like 12 years ago before I started really cooking um, everything for myself. And like now when I want something, I'll just go in the kitchen and I'll, I'll make it. But back then I, I didn't, think about making a soup. So I went to the grocery store and I spent 45 minutes reading soup labels and every single soup had soy in it. Mm -hmm. Therefore I walked out without the soup yeah. because there was nothing I could eat and all the salad dressings. So I make all my own salad dressings for the same reason. The first ingredient in salad dressing is soy oil. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, if, if someone is, is, if they have a weight issue and they're struggling to lose weight, you may be struggling to lose weight because you have a lectin sensitivity because that was my problem and I didn't know it. And I started gaining all this weight and didn't know why, couldn't lose it. But the minute I realized I had this lectin issue and couldn't have soy, I took soy out of my diet, the weight fell right off. And so you know, we think we're eating healthy because we are eating a salad, but if that salad has soy oil on it, then it's not good for you. The only oil we're supposed to eat is, is avocado or olive oil, not corn or safflower or safflower, whatever I'm saying it wrong, <laughs> but, or canola or whatever these soy oil, those are not for us. Mm. You know, that part, I think, um, I noticed just taking any of those things out of my life made such a difference. I, I really appreciate you explaining even the smallest concepts when it comes to food decision making, when it comes to making your own food and reading labels. Because trust me, sometimes we can be at the supermarkets and we take one, I mean, you can be there all day. And you can all day. Um, <laughs> but how did you realize that you were actually, had a food sensitivity to soy? Because I was a strict vegetarian. And I did start gaining weight, but I didn't just start gaining. I looked like I had mange. I was getting these patchy white blotches and they were scaly and I've never had bad skin on my face. So all I ever need is to get some on my face and trust me, I will have a moment. I admit my vanity, but 
I was getting these things and then I was getting wrinkles. If you see, I have no wrinkles on my forehead, but I look like a Sharpay and my eyes were all doubled over. And I was like, what? I didn't, I did not look like this. This is like this girl here. I didn't look like her. And I will, it was exactly early voting for Barack Obama. That's how long ago I can tell you it was. 2008, I was, I went out, there was some early voting place and I saw this actress I had worked with on my show and I spoke to her and she looked at me and I was like, how does she not? I said, it's Stacy. And she go, oh, I didn't recognize you. And I went home and I was like, oh my God, she couldn't have. Like, I didn't even realize it was that, but how I really realized I'm, I'm saying all that because I was seeing myself not look good, but I just, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was something on my skin and the air didn't occur to me. It was what I was putting in my mouth. Um, one day I had a meeting and I had taken my little lunch and I had my little, I used to eat, I'm sure you've seen them in every Japanese, the little, the little deli section at all the grocery stores, they have the little sushi people mm -hmm. and, um, the tofu wrap, you know, with the noodles or whatever the rolls. Mm -hmm. And so I had taken those for my meeting cause that was my little snack. I thought I was just so cute. And across the street was a Starbucks. So before I'd even gotten to the lunch, uh, the gentleman I was having the meeting with, we walked across the street and we went and got Starbucks. And I had my little soy latte, soy chai, I think that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And mid meeting, I went to the bathroom and during, and literally this is how quick it was. I went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror and I looked a mess. And I went, oh my God, the only thing I've had is soy. And that was, I just figured it out on my own. And then I stopped having soy and I noticed every, my skin cleared up and I went, oh my God, something's wrong with soy. And in the course of my fast, so when I fasted the first time for 30 days, I turned off the television and I only watched documentaries. I watched studies anything I could learn. I was just trying to learn. And that's what I did all day. And that is when I learned that Monsanto had bought and patented the soybean with Roundup and the whole thing with them and the soybean. And that's, I was like, oh, I'll never eat. I, I just won't eat soy because we really don't know what they're doing to it. And that, that also, I just thought they were, po I thought it was that I'm not allergic to soy. I'm allergic to the, to the poison that they're putting in it. But I think it's a little bit of both. And so then in the last few years, I realized I had a lectin sensitivity and, um, and probably a little bit of leaky gut. So I just removed those foods and also started feeling better. I have occasionally have lentils, but if I have them, I pressure cook them. Almost all the other stuff I really don't eat. It, I can have oat milk. Then there's that new one, Oakley, Oatly, that's um, gluten-free. Mm -hmm. um, or I have hemp milk. I can have that without a problem. So I, you know, I just, I've had to find the things that work for me, but I, but it's interesting. People always think they're going to miss something. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, you eventually find other things that you really, really like. Like now my greens are so good, especially because I grow greens and I, I make them all the time. I don't like other people's greens or, you yeah. know, or, or like I grew up from a Southern family where you put pork in the greens. And, you know, as I got older, I started using smoked turkey wings and then I stopped eventually ever using meat. So I make great greens and most people are like, oh my God, your greens are so good. And there's not a stitch of meat in them. So I think your taste buds eventually change your, um, you just, you just have to get there. And again, that's why I give my events because my goal is to fix, is to prepare something for you that you're familiar with, but to show you a different way to, to eat it, to, to prepare it and enjoy it. And I think sometimes um, it's something that simple. People just, it's, it's really more of not thinking about it or not having anyone show you. And so I think that's my journey is to show. Well, I'm glad you're in this space to be able to help a lot of our women now to show and support and to educate, which is always really important because a lot of the times we're just, we're unaware of, you know, the daily decisions that we make when we consume food. 
when it came down to all of this learning process and experiences, was there any two books that you read that helped you with your healing process with, with your health and or any types of books that kind of you looked forward to reading that kind of helped raise your conscious awareness about what you're consuming as far as food? I have to be honest. I don't know if during the time when I really, really got on this journey, this end of the journey, I should say, that there were books because, you know, there's so much more information today that was not available 10 years ago. Or, you know, remember, I've been on this health journey for since 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can look at YouTube and there's still a whole bunch of people that I just watch stuff and go, oh my God, you've never had a health challenge. Because if you had, you'd know you shouldn't eat something. I, there aren't a lot of books. There really aren't. So I can't say there was anything. I, if there are some, I don't know of them. But one of the books that was introduced to me a couple of years ago, and I'm very grateful because it really kind of helped me, was the Dr. Stephen Gundry um, Plant Paradox. But other than that, no, there weren't um, spiritually a lot of books that I read, but not food-wise. The food thing, you know, is really um, hard because... You know, like I said, doctors, their only job is to push pills. And people don't usually want to hear until they're, till their health challenge. I, I mean, I've spent so much time with people telling me, oh, I can't do that. You don't eat this. Oh, that couldn't do that. Oh, I, I'm just, I'm just not that good. But the minute somebody gets sick, so Stacy, what was that you did again? You know, so uh, people don't care till it matters. Yeah, and that's and that's the unfortunate part is a lot of times where when we're trying to empower people to make decisions to do it at an early stage is to prevent a lot of diagnosis from happening. And from what I see a lot with patients is they're being diagnosed in stage three, four, and five of whatever the illness might be. And they've been on medications, maybe two or three, four, five medications. And I'm just like, how are you eating? I just want to know, how are you eating? Mm-hmm. Um, because all of that takes a big role into how you're being diagnosed and the types of medications that you're utilizing. And I tell people, as soon as you pay close attention to what you're eating, you might be alleviating some of the symptoms from your diagnosis, which can be kind of tough at times. But it's also too, it's from a place of complacency too, because a lot of people are just, they're comfortable. They're comfortable. They don't want to be uncomfortable for one second And like, again, I I have to say it again, it is why I give my events because that's the moment when someone's more, more open. Um, And some people came, didn't all have health challenges, but when you can serve somebody something that they know and they go, Oh, I don't, I, I can have spaghetti and I don't have to use wheat noodles. I can use kelp. I can use zucchini. You know what I mean? It, it's sometimes it's the introduction. Because remember, it's not that people hear about things. They don't want to spend the money to try it and not like it, you know, or they don't know how to fix it. But if you, but if you fix it for them and serve it for them, then they're like, oh, oh, well, that was good. I didn't, I didn't think that was going to taste like that. that that's, I always get that. I didn't think that was going to, really? Oh my God. You know, and, and so it is, you're right. They're comfortable with what they know and they can't imagine there's a better way, you know, and you, you, it, it is about the introduction. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, I think more of us that know have to introduce, but I will say this, and I'm going to say it again. I, I mean to not poo poo on anybody else. I don't think I know everything and I'm not perfect. But as I said, there are a lot of people out there that are not knowledgeable. They just became a vegan or a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're eating, but yet they are quick to try to tell somebody or serve someone something without getting all of the information. One of the things about me, I'm very careful about information I give. I always want to make sure that I'm being responsible. And that's not always, I don't find always the case. I was with someone who claimed to be a vegetarian and everything they served was soy-based or processed. And I was like, you don't even eat real food. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, that matters. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
it, it, I think that's the other thing. There's a lot of really unhealthy vegetarians. I don't care that you're a vegetarian or a vegan. You're probably not healthy. I mean, it, it's interesting. There have been a lot of um, people on YouTube, a lot of the, there's a lot of influencers that literally have been acknowledging that they're sick because mm -hmm. they didn't know what they were doing. So they shouldn't have been giving people information because they didn't know. You know what I mean? So I, as I tell people all the time, don't just go on YouTube and listen to people. You'd be so surprised how ill-informed they are. Not just the food. I mean, I, I would give you a really good example. With, uh, and like, so I, I, it's not to bash people. It's just our, our world, where we are. Everybody wants to be, everybody wants to be important. Everybody wants to be an influencer. And I'm not mad at them for that. But at least if you're going to do it, be responsible. Um, I had this great desire a couple of years ago to grow sweet potatoes since I realized that those were better for me than regular potatoes. And I um, went on YouTube because I was like, how hard could this be? I'm on YouTube. Everywhere I go, I don't care what race, religion, age they were, everybody said, you have to grow slips. And I was like, God, that's a lot of work to grow a potato. Jesus. But I did it. So I went. I planted my slips. I was so proud of myself. I put like 30 of them in the ground. I was like, oh man, sweet potatoes. Mm -hmm. Right after I planted them, I ended up getting a job out of town. I had to leave LA and I was going to be gone for nine months. I was going to miss the harvesting. So I didn't, you know, I was like, I told my best friend, well, there's supposed to be some sweet potatoes down there. Go for it if you want. Mm -hmm. I get home and there's nothing but dirt there. So I assume she either picked them out or they, you know, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Few weeks goes by, haven't really worked in my garden, and then I start noticing leaves popping up out of the ground, only to realize no one ever picked the potatoes, so the potatoes were just rerooting. Re mm. And that's when I realized you don't have to grow slips; you just got to throw them in the ground like regular potatoes. But everybody was, all the videos said you don't, no, don't do that. That it was like, yeah, they're the same. You can do that. You see what I'm saying? But this is what everybody on YouTube is telling you to do. And it's a waste of time. And so I kept the small ones in the ground and the little leaves have already started popping out again. And I will no longer grow slips because you don't have to. That's just YouTube, you know, myth. <laughs> That's kind of my point is like, you know, know your source and make sure your source has done the work. Like now I've grown sweet potatoes. So I'll tell you, just throw them in the ground. You'll be all right. Water them, throw them in the ground. They'll grow. Yeah. It's, it's as easy as even if you're eating a potato, you can just even take out the end or the beginning and just put it there and plot it. As long as you have a good soil and good water and sun, obviously you can grow a good vegetable. Absolutely. In your services that you do, is there anything that's coming up? I know we're, we're in times of difficulty right now, but in these times, have you focused on any services or have you kind of taken a break because of everything that's going on with the pandemic and also too because of what happened to um, the, the incidents that happened in Minneapolis, you know? Right. Um, are you providing um, services for people how to eat healthy? Because I know during these times too, it, um, people can also lean to, towards a lot of comfort food as well. Yes, I have, I was, I didn't, I obviously couldn't today or, you know, the last few days I haven't, I've been a little quiet on food because I've been posting about uh, this, um, all that's going on. But um, I was posting some of my recipes online and what I, I, I've been focused on my home. So instead of getting depressed or I, I had things in my home that I needed to handle. So I've actually, I re, I landscaped my front yard and yes, I did the work myself. Um, I, so I was very focused on that. That took up the first month and then I would cook in, I, at night. And so I post pictures about my food or I post a video, something I made, but what I'm, I have started working back on my book and that's kind of my focus right now is to get my, um, is to get my book going again and to hopefully finish it before we're, you know, we, we break loose and, uh, did a, 
a treatment for a TV show and that I was supposed to shoot the pilot for, but the pandemic happened. So, um, which was revolved around food. And so I'm, I'm scheming and plotting right now uh, what, you know, we don't know what the world's going to look like. So I'm trying to figure out what my world is going to look like, how I can do what I want to do and still be of service to the world, how I can help spread the word about health. So I've been taking a lot of time to really try to can figure that out because I never was really a, um, I'm a very private person. Mm -hmm. So the internet has been very hard for me. Um, little backstory, I had a record deal, as I said, mm -hmm. and in the eighties, it was about mystique and privacy. You know, was, you know, you never saw Michael Jackson at a club. You know what I mean? It was like that kind of thing. And you didn't go to stuff and you only went to things where, you know, there was rules. And so I have that mentality. And so the internet is very hard for me because still, I'm, I'm still struggling because I'm, I'm private. I'm fine giving information, but I'm not as good about myself. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm, I'm trying to find how this works for me. So I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. I'm, uh, how to figure out how to put my events online, uh, how to how to do all of that. That that's where I am right now. So I can't say I'd love to say yes, I'm doing this and this, but I'm of course. <laughs> I think everyone's at a standstill, trying to, like you said, we're trying to plot well, and we don't know what we don't know what's next. Yeah, you know, we don't know what the world's going like. What we're going to be able to do, you know obviously things have changed. So we all have to figure out what that means for us. And that, that's what I'm trying to do. How, how do I work in the world? How can I be in the world and, you know, and, and be, and do what I do or do something that matters. I think you have a lot of knowledge and wisdom and personal experience to be able to share in our communities, especially in our communities of women of color, because there are, some services that we do lack that we need that support um, and to have individuals that can, can do and plot the work, you know, um, like you just said, we don't know what our future is going to look like. We're still trying to figure things out. Um, and just know that I think we're all there with you. I, I'm, I extend my heart to you because I know these must be difficult times for you and your community. And for all of us, we're hoping that we get through this to have a better future any words of wisdom with everything that's going on is to just we all have to know that we're one we're going to be okay and okay is going to look different but things are going to be different they're going to be different after the quarantine they're going to be different after these protests things are going to be different and so and and we have to let go of the past you can't one thing i hate to hear anybody say right now is i just want my life back okay your life's never going to be the same so let go of that because if you keep trying to get what you had, you're going to be, you're going to always be miserable because you're never going to see that again. It's time now to focus on new, different and better what that is going to be for you. And I think that even comes down to our employment. You know, I, I remember years ago, there was somebody on Facebook complaining they didn't have a job. And then, you know, in the next breath complaining, she always had somebody's kids at her house. I said, are you charging people for those kids? And she said, no, I said, well, then there's your job. You don't have to leave your house. Charge these people for these kids. Stop watching people's kids for free. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, go get your license and figure out. I mean, it's going to be different. And so we have to embrace new and different. And I think this time, especially being off work, everybody wants time. We're always, I wish I had time. I wish I had time. I wish I had time. Well, you have it. Love it. Yeah. Figure out what is your passion? What is it? You know, there are people that do things. You know, one of the things I do and I can't do right now, and it's one of the services I provide. If, if you come to my event, I tell people, I will come to your house and help you get your garden together because I believe everybody should grow something. I don't care if it's one tomato. You need to grow something at your house that you will put in your mouth. And when this hit, the one thing I was able to say, and I said, I did a video and I said, well, everybody laughs at me, but 
you all are at the store trying to find food and all I had to do was walk outside. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't starving. I have fruit trees. I have vegetables. I ate. So as I tell people all the time, see, grow food, grow something. Cause I control my food source. So That's that, funny. you know what I mean? That is important. We have to change how we do what we do. And, and we've been pushed into change. The universe has pushed us into change. So instead of fighting it, you've got to just be like, yo, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ride with this. I have this time to think, you know, there are people that sew or needlepoint. There's all kinds of things any of us could be doing. You just have to decide that you want to do those things. You know, you have to, you know, you don't always make money right away. You don't always make a lot of money, but it could be enough of a supplement. You know, when I first started my food business, I did, I worked out of my own kitchen. I was, but there are times it paid my bills. Like I, some weeks I'd have five clients, some weeks I'd have 12 and I could only serve so many people, but I figured out where to get all my little containers and I'd figured out a lot of stuff. And so on Sunday morning, I would get up and drop all this food off and people, and I became a word of mouth business. Like people, I was always getting new clients. I have people who I have testimony of people, a girl that was on, had lupus, couldn't get out of bed. A couple of months on my food, she was able to check back into school. So I know the power of food, but I also got to see what I just had a business so I could eat. And my little business so I could eat ended up helping other people and putting money in my pocket. Thank you so much for being able to share your experience and your journey. I am sure you're continuing on a, on a new journey. Like you said, the past is the past now. And now we're on this new journey where we're, I think we're all trying to navigate what the future is going to look like for everyone. Um, is there any words of wisdom that you would like for any um, woman or young girl that's listening right now in these times of hardship? Is there anything that you would like to say before we end our interview today? Just believe, know that you're going to be okay. And something good is going to come from all of this. Thank you so much, Stacey. Um, if you are wanting to connect with Stacey, as always, we have to be respectful of time because we are, you know, in a unprecedented timings of emotional as well as spiritual, as well as communities is, are just doing so much work right now. And we just have to show up for the community that needs us the most. And Stacey, if you need any support, please feel free to reach out anytime. If you have your events going on or, or if you want to make sure that we're providing support where we can. Thank you so much. And same here.